It's no secret that real estate is one of the best investment vehicles out there, but how can we determine which strategies will best align with our financial ambitions? Well, you've come to the right spot. Whether you're an active real estate entrepreneur, a passive investor, or looking to get into real estate investing, our goal is to provide investors with the insights and strategies for building our portfolios all while protecting our capital. I'm Daniel Nichols, and this is the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. Are you looking to grow your real estate investing business? Fortune Cribs can help. Fortune Cribs helps investors buy short-term rentals in select markets around the country for as little as 10% down with cash-on-cash returns in the 20 to 30% range. Fortune Cribs will design, furnish, and manage all the day-to-day operations, making your experience truly hands-off. And it doesn't matter where you're at in your real estate investing journey, whether you're trying to get your first deal or scale your portfolio, Fortune Cribs can help. So if you want to take the next step, go to fortunecribs.com and book your free consultation to see how Fortune Cribs can best help you. Once again, that's fortunecribs.com. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Daniel Nichols, accompanied by our guest for the week, Satch Bernhardt. And today we are the two smart assets. For those not yet familiar with Satch, he is a former airline pilot that left a successful career in aviation to pursue entrepreneurship and real estate in 2018. Satch has invested as an LP across several syndications and serves as co-GP for syndicators on the capital raising investor relations side, and now focuses on helping busy professionals invest in real estate. Satch, my man, it is great to see you. Welcome to the show. Danny, thank you for that intro. Oh, Glad yeah, to be man. here. Yeah, man. Excited to have this conversation. You know, uh, we've we've connected before, so this is uh, this has been a long time coming. Super pumped about that. But, uh, you know, we like to kick the show off by hearing more about about you, the guest, Satch. So tell us more about your background, your story, and how you got to where you are today in your real estate investing career. Yep. Yeah, for sure. So um, like you mentioned there, I was an airline pilot and um, I had a pretty successful career. I was uh, flew for the airlines. I started when I was 21 years old flying for the airlines. And um, about four years into it, I kind of started looking around at my peers and I figure... I don't I cannot possibly do this for another 40 years just because um flying the airplane is pretty cool, right? Flying a jet is pretty, pretty cool, but the lifestyle that goes along with it was just not for me, right? Uh many people love it. Many airlines, many of my friends love it, they still do it. Uh, but it was just not for me. So I started looking for other things, right? So I found real estate um and then I stumbled upon wholesaling. Um, so mm-hmm. I started a wholesaling business while I was still flying for the airlines. So I was doing that on my side, on the side. Uh, the airline schedule is kind of like, typically works for like four days on, four days off, three days on, three days off, kind of like that, right? Um, so on my days off, I will just go all out and, and try to make wholesaling work. Um, so by 2019 and 2020, I started getting more success in the wholesaling business and to where towards where the income that I was getting from there was just as much as I was getting from the airlines. So I'm sure you remember COVID happened 2020 <laughs> and my airline shut down. So when the airline shut down to me, it was just kind of like, Hey, you know, this, this done. I was in all, I was already kind of halfway out. So to me, it was, it was not really uh, too much of a big deal, but what I did realize was a lot of my peers, uh, other airline pilots that were on my airline, started were struggling financially, right? They were not set up to face something like that. And the reality is that at the airlines, 
there's this common joke that goes around that says you're not a, you're not a real airline pilot unless you've been furloughed twice and you've been divorced <laughs> three times, right? So that was my first furlough, I guess you can say, from an airline, and that opened my eyes to like, hey, this joke is real, right? People mm-hmm. say it, people say it, but it's true, and I wanted to help other pilots not be in that position where they, if they get furloughed or anything that happens in their life, you know, that there's financially secure. So I, I started Bernhard Capital, which is, we now focus on um, raising capital and investing in value add uh, multifamily deals and all across the Sunbelt region. That's awesome. It's so I want to take it back. So, you know, I think that, you know, you've experienced this volatility, uh, you know, in the airline industry. And I, I have uh, completely relate to that as working in the oil and gas industry because it's similar, right? I mean, ups and downs, a lot of layoffs, you know, it's just kind of one of those things you expect it to happen, right? It's it's, it's very similar to the airline industry. So have a lot of respect for that. And uh, so, but I want to take it back. So you were an airline pilot and you, you were doing this wholesaling thing, except you were doing it very successfully. I mean, like you said, you basically replaced your income uh, on the on this wholesaling business. So, I mean, a lot of people might just, you know, let that blow by them. But I heard that and I'm thinking, that's impressive. You know, you've come and you've done that while working uh, an airline job. Um, what do you, what do you think was really like the, you know, the catalyst for your success with that? Cause now that you've built a, you know, a successful wholesaling business, you know how to build a business and you've applied it now to your, your new, your new company where you're focusing on syndications. I'm sure that's translated into, into that. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, for sure. My, the wholesaling business was definitely like the guinea pig. You know, I made a lot of mistakes. Uh, I learned a lot of things that I did not know just because my whole life I never I was never a business owner so there was a lot of things that I just did not know how to do right like I didn't know how to hire the right way yeah. I made a lot of mistakes hiring people I I, I didn't know uh, what's interesting though is that at the airlines we have SOPs just for uh, everything even how to breathe you know and <laughs> it never clicked that I needed SOPs for a company right so those little things kind of uh are things that I learned through my wholesaling business. And then what, like you mentioned, uh, I apply all those same things, all the things that I already learned into my new company, which is uh, uh, the capital racing company, right? So it just, it's definitely been a lot easier. There's a lot of things that I can already foresee happening and I can already take action or mitigate anything that oh, I'm like, all right, this is going to happen. Let's, let's take the appropriate action for take, to take care of that. Right. Yeah. Um, but to answer the question is, what made the success while I was still flying to do the wholesaling businesses, I would say the right mentorship, getting the right mentors was the biggest thing. I was very driven to make it work because I feel like we either tend to run away from, from pain or mm-hmm. towards pleasure, right? And in my opinion, running away from pain is a much stronger motivator than running towards pleasure. And I was running from pain in the sense that I did not want to be in that lifestyle. Every time I left on a trip, I was like, man, I don't want to do this again. You know. <laughs> so every time I came home from a trip, from a flying trip, to me, it was like the time started ticking. And dude, I got, I got so many days and I got to make this work because the time is not stopping. And in four days, I got to be gone again. And when I'm gone, I can't do this. So that was my running away from pain every time. And I think that's what pushed me over the edge to make it work regardless. Uh, but obviously, I invested in mentorship, and and that just catapulted the success. Yeah, I think the mentorship is huge, right? Especially if you find the right mentor, and it clicks, and it works, and you and you put in the work, you know, with that mentorship, right? You can't just go and get a mentorship and expect for all the work to be done for you, right? You actually put in the work, and you made it happen, and that and that's massive. And uh, you know, I think uh, I really, 
I really, you know, respect that idea of, you know, you're kind of running away from pain because, you know, you go to work and like, oh man, you know, whatever, this is what it is. I have to do this. But then your days off come and you're like, I got to make the most out of it. And actually I just put a, a post on LinkedIn. It was like, Hey, one of the things that I've learned about being in the oil field is, Hey, make the most out of your days off. Right. Cause you got so much time, make the most of whatever you're doing, whatever it is you like to do, whether you're building a business or you like to climb mountains or whatever it is, right. You need to go yeah. take, take advantage of that time as much as you can. So I love that you brought that up. Um, all right. So I want to dive into a couple of things. You know, we talked a little bit about the show about, you know, kind of um, some topics. Um, basically there's, you know, three categories for anybody who's interested in investing in real estate syndications, uh, common practices focus on three main categories, right? Sponsor market deal. Um, it's just kind of like the name of the game. If you're in syndications, if you're looking at opportunities. So you mentioned, uh, you know, kind of some of the areas that you're investing in. Let's dive into that a little bit. Double, double down. What areas are, what areas are you investing in? And why have you chosen to to put your money, your capital in those areas? Yeah. So I strictly only have deals in um, Arizona, Texas right now. And I will only in Florida, I'll love, I'm in Florida. I'll do a deal in Florida. Uh, but I focus anywhere in the South, in Southeast. Um, and the reason for that is, is I see is not just my belief, but it's truly happening, right? People from the north are moving down here. People from California are moving here. So the population growth just the the, the curve just keeps going up and up. And to me, that's a big driver. It's like you know, real estate is a basic business, supply and demand. So so obviously, the more people you have in one location, the more demand there will be for whatever your product or service is, right? So um, that's why I'm a big believer in just sticking with the states because I know that that people will keep on coming to them, especially the way I don't want to get too political, but just the way things are happening in certain states, um, more people keep coming to this, to this, to our states, right, right down here in the South. So um, that's one of like, probably my biggest, that, that just sort of narrows, it's like different levels, right? So like, like the, that, that thought process there narrows it down to like the states right so like that sure. one narrows it down to the states the next thing is just looking at the location within those states right there's it just just for the simple fact of being this state doesn't mean that they that the property will be will be successful right so i just from there i'm like okay what's the location is it in a is it in a in a nice city is there in like a middle of nowhere what what's what else is around right is there is there um what kind of jobs are around so to me is I I want to make sure that the deal that I'm investing in, that there are different type of jobs, that there's not like most of the people in that town or city is not reliant on just the one job because sure. if that if that company goes out of business, then everybody that that was in your property essentially is out of out of a job, right? So yep. now how are they gonna pay your monthly rent? So that's my other criteria, right? I want to see at least a couple companies, hopefully a more diverse uh, uh, sectors of the industry where like all, like you got, you're on the oil and gas, right? Oil and gas sure. and some other type of jobs in, in the area, right? You're absolutely spot on, man. And, you know, I think we're invested in a lot of the same areas, right? You know, you're talking about Arizona, Texas, Florida, all that stuff, the Sun Belt, all those places, you know, a lot of good areas in that. And I love that you brought up uh, population growth because, you know, uh, you want to you want to be paying attention as a real estate investor. You want to be paying attention to demographic trends, right? Where are people going to? Why are they going there, right? And so uh, you hit on two things, you know, population growth and then um, job diversity, right? Uh, employment diversity, because uh, you know, I work in you know West Texas, and if you want to go, you know, uh, invest in West, you know, uh, some sort of property in West Texas, 
uh, if oil and gas shuts down for some reason, you're going to have a major problem, right? I mean, because that's it's it's a lot of oil and gas. So I think that uh, uh, you're spot on with that, man. I think those are two very important metrics. And so, you know, you take that, you take that uh, understanding of where you want to invest, right? And then you start, um, you know, potentially looking at deals, right? We'll get in the sponsor here in a little bit, but you know, you start looking at deals like, hey, you know, maybe I invest in apartments here or self storage here or whatever. I know we're going to focus on multifamily today. But let's say a deal comes across your desks, your desk, and you need to evaluate that deal. You know, from a high level, can you talk about a little bit about your underwriting process and what are some of the key metrics that you're pay- paying attention to in terms of the deal itself? Yeah. So there's a few things that I'm looking at from, I'm going to start off by saying that I don't do much underwriting, like sure. on a deep level, because I focus more on the capital raising, but I still do. I still look at the underwriting. I would say more than anything, I... I go over the underwriting that the operators make just to yeah, make yeah. sure that uh, that certain metrics are hit, right? So absolutely, um, I just want to see, there's certain things that I want to see that I want to see that the rent prog- uh, rent projections that they're expecting to make are are uh, realistic, right? So like I want to compare those comps that they that they have chosen as, as the projection rents and I just make sure that like, all right, those are realistic. I want to make sure that the cap rate that they're projecting that we're going to, that we're purchasing the property versus their cap rate that we're going to sell the property at five years later down the road is actually higher than when we're purchasing it, right? right. So I want to see at least a half a, po- uh, half a point or a point higher sure. uh, on the cap rate. I personally like to see at least 200% to a $200 uh, rent bump in whatever the current, the current market, uh, the current rents on that property that we're right. getting versus what we can potentially increase the rent to. Uh, but at the end of the day, I'm just, that's something I just like to see myself. But at the end of the day, it's just, that's just, I'm just confirming the underwriting that that's hopefully is, that's, that's what it is. Right. Yeah. Uh, not to say I, I'm going to turn out a deal for 175 increased rent, you know, it's, the, the deal is good. The deal is good. Um, you're you're going to say something. No. Yeah. As I said, I completely agree with that. Right. There's, there's a couple of metrics that you really need to be paying attention to. Cause like you said, you know, we're not professional underwriters. We might have somebody on our team that does the underwriting, but at the same time, just a you know back of the back of the napkin type thing. Let me look at this thing and let me let me check, uh, like you said, the rent growth, um, and then those are a couple other metrics that you're really going to be paying attention to, especially as say if you're an LP on a deal, right? You don't need to be a professional underwriter going in and just analyzing these deals like you know head to toe, getting all the numbers. You need to be able to look at a deal, be confident with it. But even more important than that is what we're going to probably dive into right now is the sponsor, right? So if you're comfortable with a sponsor, you look at a deal and you know how to basically look over those numbers uh, for the most part, and you're comfortable with that, you're, you're probably going to move forward, right? But that's because you have confidence in the sponsor. And so for you as somebody who is, you know, co-GP um, and you're focused on raising capital, um, but even at the same time as a passive investor, how are you going about and, you know, finding these these sponsors, these teams um, that you're, that you're potentially going to invest with? What, what, what's that process look like for you? Yeah. So the first couple of people that I stumbled across from was from Facebook, just kind of like connecting the dots, seeing like, Hey, this person is investing in a syndication deal and I will see, all right, who's running that deal. And then I will see, okay, this company is the one that, that is the operator. So then I'll just start doing research on that company. So I started off just on Facebook groups, but then I started going also to uh, networking events and I'll meet a couple of people there that were like, hey, yeah, we're, we're syndicators, we're operators and listening to podcasts, um, I'll listen to more. And then what you start seeing is that a lot of the people, 
a lot of the guys that are doing things, uh, that are doing good things, they you start seeing them in all these places, right? Yeah. And so I just started. The more people I saw in like in like different places, and there were places that I was going to listening to podcasts, and then I saw them on like a. They're also part of a Facebook group. Then I saw them like they're also part of my mastermind. They're also in this networking event that I went to. So I started digging deeper in, into them, right? Seeing what they're doing, see what kind of deals are putting out, what their investment thesis is. And I re- if I relate a lot to them, you know, then I just, that's how I started investing with them. There's a couple of things that, for example, like I won't do any ground, ground up construction, right? Like I don't mm-hmm. want to, I don't want to have any part of it. Sure. And so I, most of the guys that I invest with, they don't do any, right? They just, all of them, they buy cash flowing assets, value add, uh, VC properties, like, except for the one that we just did, it's an A property, but uh, there's still value add to it, right? But we won't buy anything that is like no value add, just simply an A class uh, deal right. that is just going to sit there and like give us almost no no cash flow, right? Um, I wanted to under- uh, bring uh, bring us back a little bit to the underwriting thing that there was a couple of things that I, aside from that, like also the vacancy, right? So like there's some mm. things that you can look at. If it's a value add deal, you're, you should expect to see uh, like the vacancy for the first year, two years to be, which is the, the value add phase, uh, you want to see that the sponsor, the underwriter is making realistic projections, uh, putting like a vacancy at 12 to 15%, mm-hmm. right? If you're not seeing that and you only you see them that they keep the 5% vacancy rate all across the board for the five years, it's like, hey, all right, this guy's trying to bluff up the numbers. <laughs> um, if there is uh, no increase percentage increase in like expenses year over year it's like okay well that's not realistic right and and the other thing is um i don't know if you've seen this man but i've seen a couple of deals come across where i was asked to raise money for them and i turned them down because um i'm looking at the underwriting and then i saw they were paying an a, a, an eight percent prep return and i saw that on year one they were only cash flowing so like just to put basic numbers out there right in order for them to pay out 8% preferred return, it would have the property would have to cash flow like 600,000, but it was only cash flowing like 200,000, which is normally fine, you're right? Because he gets accrued and then gets paid later. Sure. But in this case, they were carrying over zero to the next year. And I was kind of curious, I was like, well, how's how is this happening? Right. You're you're like four hundred thousand upside down here. And it's no, no, we just we just raised extra money and we're paying it back to the investors as if it was a prep return. Ah, uh, to me, I was just like, all right, I don't, I don't <laughs> like that. I just feel like I'm just rubbing Pete to pay uh, whatever the saying mm-hmm. is, you know. So, right. Um, to me, it's just not, not. It's kind of, it's kind of de- deceiving the investors, and and uh, so that's just something that maybe people want to look at. You know, when you're looking at the underwriting, it's like you don't have to go to, you don't have to become an expert underwriter to like see these kind of things, right? If you see a couple of them, you kind of start picking up on these kind of things. Yeah, I think that's that's huge, man. You made a lot of good points there. And I think the thing that I really took away from that is, you know, you got to have your your lines in the sand, right? There's things that you, you're you okay with accepting. And there's things like, hey, man, that just doesn't fit with what we're doing here at this. You know, what I'm doing as an investor personally for me, that doesn't, that doesn't really fit. So I think identifying what those things are in your investing strategy are very important, whether you're an LP or if you're, you know, raising capital or whatever it is. Um, I think having those in your mind is very important. And one thing I would say about, you know, if you're if you're just an LP or if you're if you're a capital raiser looking for people to partner with, uh, one thing I found early on in my um, passive investing journey was the most important thing that I could do to to find good people to to invest with is get a referral. Because I think that, uh, you know, 
when I first started, I didn't have that referral. I was kind of like you, I was just looking around and I was, you know, placing capital in places and, you know, it went well, but when I really started to like supersize basically my passive investing and really feel confident, what I was doing was getting referrals from people who had invested in these, these sponsors and these teams and their deals and had done it successfully. And then after that, it was, it was a game changer, right? So having, I think that referral, you know, whether it's from your network or reaching out to somebody else, uh, having a referral from somebody who's successfully invested with a team is a massive advantage instead of just going out on your own and, um, and, you know, just picking whoever you want. Right. So have you, yeah. do, do you have any experience with that? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and I absolutely agree with what you just said. Uh, asking for referrals is, is probably the fastest way to like a shortcut, you know, sure. instead of just, there's, there's many, many, many people doing syndicate uh, syndications out there. Right. So like asking for a referral, obviously somebody won't, hopefully this person is your friend, right. And they won't refer you to someone that is not doing good <laughs> business, but so hopefully they're your friend and they want good for you and they refer you to someone that they have experience with investing and they have gotten uh, good results, right? And to take it one step farther, when you finally find that syndication company, the operator that you've been referred to or that you feel like that you like, some of the things that I like to tell everyone to ask that person is everyone can ask for like, hey, can you show me your previous deals and what were the projected returns and what the actual returns were? But they may show you only the ones that were pretty successful, right? right? So like you probably want to ask, hey, can you tell me what kind of stuff have gone wrong in the past and what do you guys do about it? And I, I love to ask that and I love to see what they say because one, things go wrong all the time, right? And not to say, not to scare people away to say this is unsafe, but it's just like, that's just the nature of the business, right? There's there's things that can go wrong as it was the business plans getting executed and that's perfectly fine. But how the operator handles those issues as they arise is what will really tell you, hey, these guys can think straight, they can figure out problems and you can trust them with your money because it's not like they're not just going to let things uh, go by the side. You know, like if they had a problem with a contractor, just to give an example, right? They they hired this contracting company to take on the the a uh, few of the renovation projects, and then um, I don't know. Let's just say a year into it, they were just not doing the work, and and they were already uh, the guy was charging them too much money, and they were not getting things done. Then they they got rid of them. The guys hired someone else. And what they learn from that is the next time they will do a better screening on the contracting company that they hire, right? right. That, I, I love it, man. I'm, I'm like, okay, cool. You, you, you found it, you had a problem, you fixed it, and, and now you put a system in place to not let the same thing happen again, right? But if, if you told me you had a problem and you've, you sort of took care of it that time, but you didn't do anything for the future to address it again, so it's kind of like, it might happen again, right? It was just an example, but just to kind of give everyone an idea of what kind of things you want to see right and and the other thing is when they put a deal out and you're looking at it and you're considering the deal i always want to ask hey what do you think can go wrong in this deal and what are we doing to mitigate that risk what are you guys planning on on, on doing and it's something that um it kind of translates from flying because even in every flight there's we always it's like a pre-flight briefing and we always talk about potential risks in every mm -hmm. flight right and there is always risks and you, it's called threat and threat, uh, threat and error management. So you kind of foresee what kind of risks we're gonna face throughout this flight and how are we gonna mitigate them. So it's the same thing here, right? We have a business plan. These are the things that can go wrong, and this is what we're doing to uh, mitigate those risks. And to me, that's if someone can show you and explain all this to you, man, those are that's the perfect guy. Yeah, absolutely, man. I love that. Those are those are two great tips. I think if you're 
if you're an LP and you're listening to the show right now, you got to write those down. You know, I think those are two things you got to put in your back pocket and keep those uh, when you're evaluating deals or, or sponsors. So I think that that's massive, dude. Really, I think we could probably dive into this for another hour, man, but I want to be respectful of your time. So Satch has been awesome. We'll have to get you back on the show, man. We can really do a deep dive into some of this stuff instead of just a high level view. But uh, before we get out of here, tell the listeners more about, uh, you know, what you got going on. I know you got a lot going on right now, man. So share with us uh, a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. So um, we just closed a deal um, last Tuesday and it was a 350 unit, but um, we're I'm actively putting more deals together. I work with uh, two syndicators that I'm very close with and uh, we are looking for more investors that, that want to invest in good deals and, and put their money somewhere where they're going to get a good return. Awesome, dude. Hey, so if, you know, if our listeners listen to you, hey, we want to reach out to you, how can they do that? Yeah, so I actually have a, a, an ebook where everyone can uh, download it for free and you can connect with me. The, you can find the ebook if you go to my website is uh, bernhardcapital.net forward slash ebook. Okay. And uh, just put your information there download the ebook and uh, all my information is there. So you can connect with me. Awesome, man. We're going to make sure to put that in the show notes. Uh, so listeners can reach out, get on your list and check out that ebook. Cause I know it's absolutely fire, man. So, Hey man, this has been fantastic. You know, I've learned a lot, you know, during the show, even from our, you know, pre-recording learned a lot there too. So uh, appreciate your time today, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah. Thank you for having me, Danny. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. Head over to iTunes to subscribe to the show. And while you're there, we really appreciate you leaving a rating and written review. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to hear on the show, connect with us on social media or through our website at twosmartassets.com. We look forward to speaking to each and every one of you. Talk to you soon.